Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We are remembered by how other people remember us. So we live only through the memories of the people who we touched. So if we didn't touch anybody, but we have a big bank account, we are not really remembered. But if we are remembered, then people say, you know, when I listened to what you said, when I saw what you created, when I read what you wrote, when I, uh, you know, got my treatment from you, this is how you made me feel. And as such, you know, I've created an emotional connection with you. And this emotion is, you know, this is the creativity, really. It's the emotion. Creativity evokes emotion. And so in this creativity, in this emotion, there within that lies sort of eternity, if you want to. And that to me is is the great part about what we do and what we support is that it's the beauty, it's what makes people feel to remember what we came here to do, which is to love each other, to inspire each other, to live our very best lives and to get along. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. 
So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Biate, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, I am actually super excited to talk to you about creativity. Well, you know, I came across your story by way of one of our listeners. And when I did some digging and I saw that you had gone from being a creative entrepreneur to selling a company to Bill Gates, I thought, okay, I want to know how all of that happened. But (laughs) before we get there, um, I want to ask by uh, start by asking you, what extracurricular activities did you participate in uh, when you were in high school? And how did those end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your work? So um, most people don't even know this about me, but I am—I uh, was a big ballroom dancer. So I, I got into sort of the formal aspect of ballroom dancing and was especially excited about the Latin, the Latin dances. And so for me, I believe, you know, dancing was, you know, being able to do something where you don't think about anything other than what you're doing right now. And for me, that's such a challenge anyway, because, you know, my mind's always going a thousand miles per hour. And to find something that you can completely forget everything else and just be sort of in that moment and the music and the steps and the presentation, that was uh, that was a big, big thing. I wasn't really all that great with uh, sports per se, but dancing sort of was, uh, was my thing. And I think that was kind of like the only thing I really liked doing. And how did it impact me? It teaches you to lead, it teaches you to be led, and it teaches you to really pay attention to you know, the presentation to how you come across to, you know, your makeup, your facial expression, the body posture. And I learned that you don't even have to be the best at the steps or the steps don't have to be the most complicated. Sometimes a fantastic presentation of okay steps will still get you a win. You know, it's interesting to to listen to you describe that. It sounds almost identical to how Stephen Kotler describes flow. And, uh, I, you know, what's been really interesting to me is, is that as I look at people who have achieved very significant things, it seems like they all have found something that generates flow in their life that actually has nothing to do with their actual work. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, based on your experience, why do you think that is? Why is it that we tend to see such a significant improvement and achievements in other areas of our lives when we find flow in another in something completely unrelated? Well, it's, it's like, I think it has a lot to do sort of with the surrender portion, right? So there, you know, everything has a mindset to it. So, um, you know, I'm not really dancing much these days anymore. I'm now I'm a, I'm a big skier and skiing, I think follows sort of the same principle mm-hmm. where, you know, and, and we were just in this epic weekend in this blizzard and mammoth just this past weekend. I just got back at the day, uh, the day before yesterday. And so, you know, you're fearful. Because uh, 14 feet is a lot of snow. Uh-huh. And uh, y- you have faith in your skill set. But uh, this is a blizzard. And it's snowing <laughs> It's snowing like crazy. It's a lot of snow. Even though you're really good. And I'm really good. But it's a lot of snow. And uh, it's cold. And, you know, there's... There's sort of this element of danger. And, uh, you know, you're crazy. But the snow is so good. So you, you're... You know, flow is really about overcoming your fears 
and then surrendering to the outcome and then committing to just really having a good time. And so so that is, I think, the, 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 the part in entrepreneurship and especially in creative entrepreneurship. It's a scary world out there. We, we have our skill set. You know, we have muscle memory. We have creative memory. And yet we go out there and we're always afraid. What if somebody doesn't like me? What if I make a mistake? What if I fall? What if I can't get up? What if I get really hurt? But then we have to be at that crossroads and say, I have had enough experience. I think this is really the key. This is really the answer you're looking for. You eventually have fallen enough, often enough to recognize that your ability to get up is actually pretty good. And so instead of looking at things as a failure, it is merely then the recognition of saying, oh, not this. Oh, not this. Oh, not this. Mm -hmm. And then you simply turn around and you go another direction. So it sounds to me that failure is essential for developing grit. Like without actually failing, we can't develop grit. I think failure is the most underrated skill set that uh, any entrepreneur needs to have. Without failure, you're actually a loser because failure shows that you are actually stretching, that you're pushing it hard enough, that you're reaching that end of that rainbow or the end of that wall or the end of the room. So that, you know, you're pushing so hard that you're like, okay, that's the limit. That's my limit right now. And then you're either going to push through it and find a door or take down the wall or find a way around it or over it or underneath or whatever you you, you, you might use to get there, or you're just going to say, no, I'm in the middle of my box and I have my five toys and just like a, a small child in a playpen, uh, I'm pretty happy with playing with what I have. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not greatness. Uh-huh. Why do you think some people in the face of failure uh, give up at the, the first sign of difficulty and others persist? Oh, because it hurts. It hurts. It's it's it, it's expensive. It costs money. It hurts. It's um, it's painful. My 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 emotions are my feelings are hurt. My ego is hurt. My stature is hurt. My how other people see me. You know, I think this is sort of in the age of social media, of Facebook and 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 Instagram. So what we're selling through social media is the image of the brand on how we would like it to be. So anything that happens that is detrimental to how we're presenting our brand to the outside world now is a flaw in the image and it is perceived as negative. And so we do our greatest, uh, we put our greatest efforts in keeping that outward brand because we heard branding, 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 branding is so important on how you come across importance of the first impression that we put up these images of absolute perfection. And so when something cracks in that outward armor, suddenly we feel like a failure because we can't even live up to our own expectations of ourselves. Wow. Um, I, I love that explanation. You know, it's funny because I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about sort of the impact that social media has on us neurologically, especially because my you know, current book that I'm working on is about creative habits and how do you sustain it uh, in a very digitally distracted world. And what I find myself exploring more than just the sort of tactical aspects of it is the sort of human psychology aspects of this and how this constant connection actually makes us much you know, uh, more depressed than we really should be because we have this very warped perception of our own lives because we're constantly comparing it to other people's lives. Absolutely. And let's not forget, you know, what I sell on my social media 
is the lifestyle that I get to live. Mm -hmm. So I'm not selling, I'm not selling um, consulting or mentoring services for creative entrepreneurs. I'm selling that, you know, if you follow me or if you do what I, what I suggest that you have a good shot at living a life like I do. Mm -hmm. So anything that is, you know, uh, that that could poke a hole into that my life is anything but perfect could be a detriment. But here's the kicker. What sort of my, my, my big mission for this year, and it's interesting that we're having this conversation at this point, you know, as, as we are starting this year, is that I have said, I am going to make this a no bullshit year. I'm making this the the real year. And I'm not talking authenticity, because if we hear that word one more time, I think we're going <laughs> to do a a joint puking session, but really more about what's real here. So I've, I have started to reveal things about myself that I have never told anybody. And, um, you know, there are very sensitive issues, you know, my own insecurities and how I grew up and what sort of uh, is coming. And I'm, I'm doing this now deliberately because I found that it's really difficult to keep up the image of myself and that I want to really attract people that, that, that understand that there's a push and there's a pull. And then there's a moment of, 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 of truth of trial and tribulation and especially failure, because if we don't promote failure, we're all going to be in this crazy race to perfection. And I don't think it's helping anybody. Hmm. You know, I think one of the other really interesting things that you said uh, was that, what you're selling is the lifestyle you're living. If you, you know, sort of follow me that this is the life that you can have. And I think that in and of itself is one of our great challenges is that we look at the lives that people lead and we don't question any aspect of it. We just treat it as gospel and say, yes, that's exactly what I want without thinking, yeah, there are certain elements of that that I want, but there are definitely certain elements that I don't. And I think it's very easy not to, dissect what you're being you know exposed to and question it excellent and i'm going to give you a very specific example so um i am a self-made multimillionaire by having figured out how to create a creative business a stock photography business that i sold to corbis which is privately held by bill gates now i can go whenever i want wherever i want do whatever i want i'm my own boss i can leave i have the money you know that's what it looks like. What you don't know is that in these years, there were 13 years that were just brutal where I didn't know if I was going to make it. My dad died. Um, you know, somebody screwed me over, not once, multiple times. I lost a boatload of money. September 11th took down half of my business, lost a half a million dollar in production volume in one single day. But, you know, that's part of the story because that's, you know, the how do we overcome these trial and tribulations and how do we get out on the other side? That's not even the entire story. The entire story is I was lonely because here I am. I'm a single mom and an immigrant from a different country in Los Angeles, a crazy city with crazy competition. And I have to raise my daughter by myself because I, I, I choose as my ex-husband an alcoholic and a pathological liar. So I'm raising this kid by myself, entirely by myself. There's no mom, there's no grandma, there's no brother, no cousins, nothing. It's just me and her. 
and I'm trying to run this business and all this other stuff happens. Guess how much time I had for relationships. Guess how great my relationships were. I was a relationship failure for 15 years. I could not figure this this out. I would have loved to have another baby. I would have loved to get married, but it just wasn't possible because my priorities were raise the child, put food on the table, get through somehow. So if you look at the life now, now you go like, yeah, what does she know? You know, you know, she can do whatever she wants. She can go out, whatever, you know, do all these amazing things. Yeah. But the key is that, you know, the sharing the failures now gives other people really much more hope, I believe, because if we share these failures and say, look, you know, I sucked at relationships for 15 years, and it is just now that I'm in a phenomenal relationship with a man I adore who treats me like his queen, and we have a great time together, but that's how long it took, you know, so failure also has uh, it brings with itself the opportunity not just to grow, but also the opportunity to set priorities and also to surrender to what can I possibly do right now. So there's a lot of elements that go into failure and success. You know, it's like a, this loaf of bread with like 10,000 slices. Wow, so many more questions uh, come from that. But I want to ask you before we get to some of the other questions uh, about parenting, mainly because, you know, you're an entrepreneur raising a a daughter uh, as a single mom. And I'm curious, you know, as an entrepreneur, like, what are the kinds of things that you are teaching your kids? And what are the kinds of things that you think parents maybe who are not entrepreneurs should be teaching their kids based on where the world is headed? Loaded question, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, God only knows where the world is heading at this moment in time, which is is why creativity is going to be the key to solving a lot of this. And and women are going to be the key to solving a lot of it. So when uh, my daughter was uh, going to kindergarten, so she's five years old. And she's, you know, the child of an entrepreneur. She, you know, from the moment she could figure out how to put a stamp on a postcard, we'd be sitting uh, in front of the TV in the evenings and we put, you know, our stickers on our postcards to mail them out so we could find, you know, so I could could get some jobs. And so I, I'm, 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 I'm worried. I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm thinking, you know what? I suck as a mom. You know, here's all these other moms with the kids and the kids are like, you know, mommy, don't go. And mommy, I love you. And here's my daughter. She's got a little lunch pail in her backpack. And then she looks at me and she says, mommy, you need to go now. And I said, wait, 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 wait. What, what's the story? I was like, you know, look at all these other kids. And there's like these big goodbye scenes. And, and, and you're not. She says, mom, you and I talked about this. You will be okay. But I need to go now and learn how to read and write. So I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm going to be okay? I'm supposed to tell you that you're going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, in that moment, I lost all the guilt. So really, it is that entrepreneurs just teach their kids a lot more independence and responsibility for their own actions. Uh, For the most part, I believe, and there's numbers on it that kids of working mothers generally, uh, you know, do better. They have... Uh, better job titles, they make more money, they know how to negotiate better. So we just have to really remove ourselves from the judgment. I would have loved to, you know, spend more time with my daughter and be maybe a full time mom, but maybe I'm completely incapable of it. And I'm just lying to myself because I love working. So I find that 
you know, it's all really all part of that plan, that flow we talked about. It just wasn't a different option. That's the best we we had. That's the best we could make of it. And she's pretty independent. And she is, you know, she's certainly not a follower. She's a, definitely a leader in her own right. And that's how I raised her, for better and for worse. So you said two things at the beginning of that, that, you know, it is a loaded question and definitely a loaded question, especially since I don't have kids. Um, but the part about the world, where the world is heading, you said creativity and women. And I couldn't let that go. Um, I wonder <laughs> why. Um, I think it's important. And I, I think it's important that we talk about it. Yes, uh, absolutely. So what's what's going on is that we are finding that the leadership of this country right now is reverting back to a leadership style that we had really hoped was all but eradicated. It's it's sort of the monarchy leadership style, which is where the leader said, you are nothing without me. Whereas the leadership that, you know, creativity promotes is the leadership that says, I am nothing without all of you, because you are my inspiration, you are my fuel, you are my, you are my blood, you are my air, you are everything uh, to me. So, when we look at the dismantling of sort of these things that make our our lives more beautiful, right? You know, the, the real threat to creativity because it's all about jobs. It's all about, you know, building the wall. It's all about uh, uh, making the most profits. Let's not worry about the world. Let's not worry about uh, the Arctic. Let's not worry about oil drilling. As long as somebody's making money, we're all going to be okay because that's the most important thing in the world is to be in power and make money. So traditionally, when we look at history, and friends of mine, Michael Drew and Roy Williams wrote this book, The Pendulum, and they found that there's sort of this 40-year connection so that every 40 years, the pendulum swings the other way. So the opportunity really for creatives in this is, is when people become so obsessed with power and money that the, the, the life that they live becomes really uh, uh, confined, right, to this small space of of where it's about things that they believe are tangible, but that we know are not feeding your soul. So if a soul, if a, if a soul is not fed, if an emotion is not fed, then life becomes incredibly depressed. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. That's why people are angry. That's why we're seeing an increase in hate crimes that because people are angry and they don't know why. Well, that's because they're focusing on something that doesn't feed their soul. Now, creativity, however, is the part um, and I just bought some art from this beautiful photographer that I just hung up in in, in my bedroom, and it's a series of like three nudes in the in the uh, desert. And so I put these images up. Now every time I go into my bedroom and I look at this, I have this moment, you know, where my heart just makes this this beat, and I go, oh, this is so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And so the, the creativity really helps us to nourish these elements of ourselves that otherwise would get lost in 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 these really non tangible. Uh, aspects. I mean, they 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 feel tangible because in the bank account, and they feel tangible because I can get other people to do things. But if it doesn't feed your soul, then it's really only a shell. Then you sit in this house, you know, with all your money, but you don't have any friends. So creativity really is the answer, and this is the you know that the call to action to all the creatives who are listening to your wonderful podcast is 
you know, do not discount the importance of creativity right now. When you look at the IBM CEO report, which they publish every year, you'll find that the word creativity is year after year after year, one of the big concerns of every Fortune 500 CEO. Why? Because without creativity, the word the world stops. Creativity makes everything move. So in a world where um, we are moving towards an insane amount of automation with things like artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, uh, you know, I mean, so many jobs are going to disappear. There's no questioning that at this point. Um, I, I think that there's enough evidence that shows that. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I'm curious, in the face of all that, what are the things that we have to do so that we don't lose, you know, the creativity that, you know, we're actually capable of as humans and don't lose it to machines. That's a, that's a wise observation because we get caught, you know, I mean, just look at the amount of uh, hours we spend on keeping our social media stuff up and how, how addicted we are to, you know, finding you know, the being the fastest to the latest news as quickly as possible. So a friend of mine uh, had once told me that the way he does keep his sort of photography love alive is he schedules it literally in his calendar. So it is almost like the, that, you know, the, the portions of his life for him to keep creativity alive, he actually schedules it. So there's a, you know, like when we go in the calendar and we say, here's the doctor's appointment, the hair appointment, here's the meeting, here's when I'm working on this project. You know, let's just schedule time for creativity in there as well and and be much more deliberate about that. Because I think we are sort of at the tipping point uh, where we gotten so, our brains are so overloaded with all this electronic information. Our brains are really not made for that that we are we are all going crazy because we are all now suffering from this electronic ADD. So it, it is a deliberate action, I believe. And that could be and should be a movement that's being led by creatives, you know, like 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 you that go out and, and, and like me and we're saying like people, we need to stop and add creativity and how can we add creativity and how we really teach people uh, this creative aspect of life because so there's a book in German is called Momo, the time thief. And so there's this pivotal scene in this book where, you know, Momo is like following these time thieves and they, you know, clip off an, a, a half hour here and clip off a five, five minute segment here. And then finally, you know, she's confronted in this moment and she looks at the time thieves and she says, but what are you going to do with all the time you steal? So that's the question. So all the time that we save with all this automation, what are we going to do with that? Like, <laughs> where's the benefit? And that's really the question we as creatives have to ask ourselves. And that's really our job to go out and say, hey, you know, now you've saved all this great time. And here is what I think you can do with it. Use it to be more creative, not more productive, because we're already more productive than we've ever been. But what about creativity? So, you know, you made an observation about sort of this um, trend towards monarch-like leadership, which, you know, kind of made me wonder about your own upbringing um, in Germany and, and what kind of leadership, you know, you lived under politically and, and how that influenced some of your perspective on leadership. Um, very clearly. I mean, you know, being German and I, I immigrated to the United States when I was 23 years old. So, 
you know, in Germany, we are raised with an incredible uh, consciousness toward what our country has done, which is started two world wars and, um, you know, created the Holocaust and did unthinkable things to to very, very, very many people. So we are we are we're growing up in this environment where we are being taught from the minute we can we can we can we go to school is like this is how how Hitler dismantled the uh, you know the, the the freedom and it started by taking over press it started uh, by you know accumulating so much power that he you know was in power to dismantle you know these democratic fail safes um, and then you know took because you know you know these three things are independent and now suddenly they're in the hand of one person and so you know suddenly he's a dictator so there's very specific steps that are taken and I am seeing some of this you know especially this like uh, you know and and my background is press and media I was a photo editor at a, a, mag, a cool hip little magazine in Germany for many for about four years and then I was editor at photo editor at Elle magazine in Germany so I have great respect for my colleagues in the press and the media and believe me this is a in, in many cases a very unthankful not highly paid job but you know it's 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 necessary so when I see these especially right now the attack on press and media um, that for me is the biggest flag on the field because that's how it starts. That's how it always starts. When media suddenly loses the ability to investigate, investigate jur investigative journalism, when um, the freedom of uh, speech, the freedom of the press is being clipped and cut, that's the first sign that there's real danger and, and it must be taken very seriously. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hmm. Wow. You know, it's interesting as, as you were describing that. Um, I couldn't help but think of this scene from a documentary that Michael Moore did very recently, which maybe you've seen. It's called Where to Invade Next. And he basically, he goes and he looks at different policies from every country that, you know, he's as opposed to invading for the purposes of military action, 
going there to see what kinds of social policies we can borrow. And he goes to Germany, and one of the, the scenes was in a classroom of children who are being taught about the Holocaust from their teacher. And one of the exercises they have the kids do is bring a suit. The, uh, the teacher brings a suitcase to the class and basically says, bring one item that you're going to part with. And just imagine that you are never allowed to return to your family, to Germany, to your friends. Um, to teach them the lesson uh, of you know the horrible things that you know Germany has had has done in its history. Yes, and you know for better and for worse. And so, you know, interestingly enough, the man I'm I'm, I'm with is Jewish. So you know we 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 we're not really joking about this because it's not funny. But you know that a German Catholic is going out with 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 a Jew in Los Angeles is is actually you know sort of the the. the portion of the peace that's necessary to heal the world right so because we're all people and so does it really matter what your beliefs are does it matter you know what what color you are does it matter where you come from um or does what we have here right now matter because at the end of the day i don't think anybody has on their grave you know the line he was very powerful and he made a lot of money but you know what we are remembered by and this is sort of the big thing for me is we are remembered by how other people remember us. So we live only through the memories of the people who we touched. So if we didn't touch anybody, but we have a big bank account, we are not really remembered. But if we are remembered, then people say, you know, when I listened to what you said, when I saw what you created, when I read what you wrote, when I, uh, you know, got my treatment from you, this is how you made me feel. And as such, you know, I've created an emotional connection with you. And this emotion is, you know, this is the creativity, really. It's the emotion. Creativity evokes emotion. And so in this creativity, in this emotion, there within that lies sort of eternity, if you want to. And that to me is is the great part about what we do and what we support is that it's the beauty. It's what makes people feel to remember what we came here to do, which is to love each other, to inspire each other, to live our very best lives and to get along. We didn't get here to make more money. Well, this makes sort of a paradoxical transition then, because I <clears throat> wanted to ask, you know, specifically about going, you know, you mentioned on your uh, about page in your bio, which I read, that you went from being $135,000 in debt to selling a company to Bill Gates. So I want to talk, um, one, about sort of the internal shifts that need to happen um, in order for something like that to happen. And also, what changes internally for you when that changes externally? Um, so the internal shift is uh, a shift you know, actually, I'm going through the very same thing again at this very moment, you know, because afterward, I started another business. And I started the women's code helping, you know, and supporting women to lead. And I have this corporate program where I go out and I help corporations with a balanced leadership, you know, which implies also creative solutions. So that goes hand in hand. And then, of course, I have my creative entrepreneur business where I mentor quite a few uh, creative entrepreneurs to help them, especially with the business part and the making money. So 
you know, the, the mindset or the shift really goes like this. So you have this idea and you, you're in love with your idea. So you, you work on the idea tirelessly. You put the idea together, you massage it, you, you find the uniqueness about it, you know, the unique sales proposition. You, you, you keep working on it until it finally it's a thing. So, you know, the idea comes first, the product comes because you're going to have to have something to sell. Then you have to figure out who you're going to sell it to. And then this is the pivotal moment. So now you, when, once you have these three ideas or these three components, you know what it is, you know, uh, you know, sort of what it does, what the benefit is, and you know who to sell it to, then you have to make a decision. And the decision is, am I going to be the best kept secret and broke? Or as one of uh, my, my listeners once had said, she considered herself a, a, a pearl in the oyster and I said to her, you know, and I just blurted out, said, good luck waiting for a diver. So uh, if you consider yourself a pearl in the oyster, but it's not available to anybody else, and you're okay with that, that's great. But I don't think that that's really the obligation of a creative or of, of you know, what we do. Our obligation is to make the world a little bit better and have people have emotions and make people live better and happier lives. And only creatives can do that. Um, because it's uh, attached to an emotion. So you come to this point where you have to say, am I in the box? Am I out of the box? Am I in the box playing with the same toys? Or am I in the box and I'm going to take all the toys that I have and I'm going to take them all apart and I'm going to try if I can build something new. And that's the moment of, of, of truth. Because then you can say, oh, gosh, it's so hard and the world's such a hard place and who needs it and creativity is under fire and I can't really do it. Or it's really the call to action that says, "Okay, stretch goal. You need to get out there. You need to push it way, way harder. So the mindset is it's almost like you have to be angry. It's almost like you have to think this is it. I've had it with mediocre. I cannot do another day like this. I have to break through this because it's first comes breakdown, then comes uh, breakthrough, and then comes breakout. So, you know, this is the, uh, I've, I've, I've had it, you know, this is it. I can't do it anymore. Then comes the, 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 the breakthrough, but I want to I am going to show it. I'm going to I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to take everything I have. I'm passionate about it. I love it. I know it's good. I believe in it. It doesn't matter what other people say. And then that leads to the breakthrough because then you're so fed up with being mediocre and broke that you will find a way to break through. That's the mindset. Not this is the mindset. Something better is the mindset. So walk me through uh, the sort of journey from breakthrough to selling a company. And also what happens internally when suddenly, you know, a lot of your financial concerns are no longer the concerns they were. Uh, well, let me talk about that first. Yeah. So when you first, when, when, when the money comes in, there's, you know, uh, and I'm just going to say it as it is, you have this oh shit moment because you you know, you open your brokerage account that you set up because you didn't really even know that when the money is going to get wired, you can't really put it in a bank account because it's not insured. So it has to go in a brokerage account. So you scramble to set that up because you know nothing about having any money. And so and then you log in and you look in there and there is this, I mean, seven figure enormous amount in there. I mean, huge for me. 
I mean, you know, am I am I rich by other people? I don't know, but I am for myself. I, I feel pretty wealthy. So it changes in the sense that now you are out of that club and you're now part of a different club. So you are out of the club of struggling, trying to make it, and you're now in the club of having to make it. So your role shifts. Your role shifts from let's all get together and see how we can help each other to more of a mentoring, consulting, um, coaching role where you go and you either say, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to sit on a beach, I'm going to drink a whole bunch of beverages with umbrellas in it, which sounded very, very good for me for about a week. <laughs> and <laughs> Or you say... I'm an immigrant. I'm a woman. I'm a creative for crying out loud. I figured something out. How do I tell the world? How do I tell as many people as possible so they can achieve what I have achieved? So so for me, making money or, or having that was almost like, you know, God, universe, whatever you want to call it. I knew that that was my ticket to really do what I came here to do, which is to change people's lives and to show people, especially creative entrepreneurs and women, how to be successful and have a great life. And so for me, success comes with almost more obligation than being broke or, or just sort of making it because when you have made it and we don't make this side of the equation look good, we are all screwed. This side has to look good and it has to look like it's worthwhile achieving. So it has much more obligation to be wealthy and to have money because that is the hope that other people have. If I can work hard and I can make that happen, my life will be better because if you work hard and you make it and then your life is not better, then, 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 then why, why, why even bother? So that's, you know, the, the, the part with money, that's really what shifted inside of me where I, I said, I'm going to take on this leadership and I'm going to take this leadership very, very seriously and I'm going to do what I can. So um, going back to the first part of your question, so um, how, how did all of this happen? Well, you know, I was just a girl from the Alps uh, with an idea and immigrated to the United States when I was in my mid-20s and I was laid off. I uh, fell into um, photographer representation and um, photo production and I was sort of this hip kid here in Los Angeles producing great um, print, print photography shoots for clients like Levi's, Wrangler, Mercedes, BMW, Macy's, Fredericks of Hollywood, you know, some, some really big names. And people came from all over the world because I, you know, kind of knew the cool locations and we had, we had fun. It, it, was, it was amazing. And, in, you know, I had built up a stable of photographers that I represented and so I was at about a million dollars in revenue, uh, you know, for my company. And then one day I had an employee who got a little too close to one of my key vendors and uh, they had a great idea how to run a business, which was basically my business just without me. And next thing I know, invoices are not being paid to me, but they're paying, being paid to them. I call the clients. The clients are upset with me because I, you know, God forbid, try to uh, collect on invoices that are payable to me. And so I lost my whole photography uh, representation business, which was worth about a half a million dollars in revenue uh, within a few short weeks. And so I sued them both because, you know, they... 
I think when you're German, it's kind of funny. When you're German, you get to be right and you must be right. I'm, I've certainly uh, learned that being right doesn't mean anything. But I, at that time, I felt I needed to be right because they wronged me very clearly. So I'm in this one-year lawsuit that cost me everything I had and money I didn't have because, remember, I just lost this business. But uh, the production season, you know, a couple months later, then, you know, come September, uh, production season starts, so it's looking good. I have tons of jobs on the book, and then September 11 happens, and within 24 hours, I lost my whole production business with the towers, so went my whole business down. So here I am. I'm fighting this lawsuit. I uh, I just lost a million dollars in revenue within, you know, nine months. I'm, I'm scrambling. I'm trying to get new photographers I'm trying to sign and nothing I do works and it all it keeps falling apart, falling apart. So I'm, I'm deeply, deeply into debt. And then finally we settled the lawsuit and after the lawsuit was settled, it came out to zero, like literally zero. Once the attorneys were paid, my debt was paid, I had zero. So I, st- I had to start from zero all over again. But I had had this idea of doing the stock photography representation business with for architecture and interior and um, celebrity homes and the celebrity home portion was really an interesting add-on because you know I went after I learned my lesson the first time so I went after the top dogs in the business first and so I was able with uh, just a little trick to get some of these top A-list photographers to sign with me and it was just specialized in architecture and interior and if you don't know what that is you know but when you go to the bank um, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, wherever your bank, and you see that image behind the counter, that's the couple in front of the kitchen, and it says, do you need money for remodeling? That image would have been ours. Or you go and get a paint catalog, and you see all these houses with all these different colors, that would have been from us. Or you see the brand leading images from Coldwell Banker, that would have been our image. And as a sideshow, which I didn't know when I started this is that the best photographers work with the best architects, work with the best interior designers. Guess what they do? They design celebrity homes. So next thing I know, I get Madonna, Francis Ford Coppola, Simon Baker, Terry Hatcher, Julian Moore. I get all these A-list celebrity home stories, you know, of them in their homes with the architect, you know, that were just published in El Decor or, or, or Vogue or wherever. And my photographers say, hey, you know, can you do something with this? And I said, well, you know, I used to be a photo editor at Elle magazine. <clears throat> of course, I know what to do with it. I know how to sell it. And so that became my big ticket item. So before you know it, I am now the world leader, right? But wait, I'm broke, remember? So it's like running up the spiral staircase. And so I have this great material, but I'm going deep and deep into debt because I can't turn it quickly enough because, you know, when you digitize an archive, you know, it's a massive amount of money that you have to put out there to, you know, to sell something. And then it takes whatever, six months, sometimes uh, through your international agreements for the money to come back in. So now I'm $135,000 in debt. And I fly to Germany. My father has a stroke, totals his car. He didn't have a stroke. He had pancreatic cancer, metastasized in his brain. And six six weeks later, my best friend, my biggest supporter, my number one fan dies in my arms in Germany. And then when we are at the funeral and we're standing there, you know, and I just go there with me, you know, we are in Nether Bavaria in this this cute little town and this Baroque church is on top of this hill and it's overlooking the whole valley. 
and we just literally just buried my dad and my phone rings and my office calls me from Los Angeles and says, we've just been served a notice. We have to leave our, you know, the office, the home office that I was living in. So I didn't even know how I was going to pay for all of that. I didn't know how to pay for my dad's funeral. I didn't know how to even, you know, like figure out what to do. But because I am, I just, you know, not really big on giving up ever. So I was so desperate that I had written a letter to the president of the United States, back then President George W. Bush. And I said in this letter, you know, you always talk about the small business being the backbone of the American economy, but, um, you know, where's, where, where's the proof? I've done everything right. And yet here I am. And so I get a letter from the, <laughs> I do get a letter from the White House, believe it or not. And I, with this letter, it referred me over to the Small Business Administration, and I met the deputy chief director. I also had written a business plan. So, you know, people don't say it's not possible, but you got to do the work. I wrote the business plan, full-fledged business plan, walk into the SBA with a business plan, with with um, recommendation from the White House uh, to talk to me. And within three months, we were able to restructure my debt, find a bank that uh, was underwriting my loan backed by the SBA, which means that the SBA sort of guarantees 80% of the loan in case you default. And that's all I needed. And then three months later, after I restructured my debt, that freed up my line of credit. And now I had the cash to, you know, get through these next three months. And that's all it was three months until I was at break even. And then we became within the next 12 months, the world's leader in celebrity at home stories, selling into 79 countries, sometimes selling stories 30 times over. Insane. And that's attracted the attention of this Corbis company, uh, of the Bill Gates company, Corbis. And they said, you need to show us how you do it. I said, I will, I will do no such thing. If you want to know how I do it, you're going to have to buy me. And they said, fine. I said, but it's expensive. And they said, we don't care. We want to know what you do. And that's how I got to sell my company to Bill Gates. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 it is. Um, I, I, if I were to describe sort of the journey, I would say it is uh, definitely anger first. And a lot of trial and tribulation. And then something activates, you know, that's the breakdown that I talk about. Uh -huh. And then something activates. That's the, you know, that's that's where you do that breakthrough, where you go like, fine, if I'm going down, I'm going to go down in flames. It's not going to be a puddle. It's not going to be a magic. It will be a burning inferno or it will be the middle of the ocean. And that's when you commit. That's when you commit because then it's all on the line. It's all or nothing. And that is when most people give up. And I think this refers to uh, what you talked about earlier is why do so many people give up? Because that is the part that is the hardest. Because you're in the middle of the tunnel and you don't know how far you have to go. And you give up because it is too dark. It is too scary. It is too lonely. And what if? But you know, sometimes you don't have a choice because you may as well finish because every tunnel has an end. Every tunnel has an end. You just don't know how long yours is. Mm. And that's it. And that's breakthrough. Amazing. Um, so two final questions. Um, one is, you know, knowing what we know, um, you know, having, you know, 
been exposed to hundreds of people with brilliant ideas over the last seven years and knowing that everybody listening to this has access to books, to resources. I'm curious why you think it is that despite, you know, in that sense, having a very level playing field, we see such a tremendous variability in people's results. And I'm curious if you see the same variability in the results of the people that you work with. I do. It's called implementation. It is, um, you know, you know, I'm a certified Myers-Briggs practitioner, so I learned um, a lot about sort of personality styles and how people, how people make decisions and uh, what sort of makes them tick. And I find that a lot of creatives are, you know, we call them the touchy-feely people, and I, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but, you know, creativity oftentimes is driven by a lot of uh, F. You know, it's the letter F in the Myers-Briggs is the feeling portion. Um, the primary emotion is is feeling. And so when people get too focused on how it feels like and they forget that stuff needs to be done because they're waiting for the feeling to be right or they, you know, the intuition is running so high that they forget that there's an execution portion uh, to, to intuition as well. You know, there's certain things. I think that's really the key to success in creative entrepreneurship. So if you are that person that has that high running you know, feeling and the high running intuition, you'll be well advised to finding, you know, a partner or hiring somebody who can do the execution portion of things. Mm-hmm. And you yourself said that, you know, the structured approach for you is challenging, which which leads me to believe that that's, you know, one of your innate preferences. I bet your intuition is very, very high. Um, but you may not you know, but but it's not natural for you. But there's people for whom this is very natural. So, you know, learning about the Myers-Briggs and understanding how other preferences, you know, can really help you to soar is the key. So implementation is the key to success. It is undoubtedly in my mind. That's how I can tell if somebody's going to make it or not. When I have, when I work with creatives and they talk about the idea and they stay in the idea and they stay in the idea and they work on the idea and more on the idea and more on the idea, but nothing ever gets executed, they will not succeed. But if I talk to creatives, they say, okay, I'm going to take your advice. The idea as it is right now is good enough because let's face it, in creativity, our idea could always be improved. The website can always be improved. The copy can always be improved. The photo can always be improved. The book can always be improved. Everything can always be improved. That's great. But if it is good enough, move to implementation. And, you know, that's coincidentally one of the things I'm really paying attention to this year is where we are launching an accountability and implementation program where I, you know, contrary to what I usually do, which is where I, I, you know, train a lot, where I train in 15-minute segments and then the majority of the focus is on accountability and implementation. It's like, okay, remember you need to do this, now do it. Remember, you need to do this. Now do it to really help, especially creative entrepreneurs to stay on target. And it's about 20, 20 weeks long because I find that, you know, sort of three months, two to three months is sort of a good attention span. So that's, you know, part of succeeding in creative entrepreneurship. You also got to know who you are. And, you know, I heard one of your podcasts, one of your interviews, and you said that people, you know, find out what makes them so uniquely you know, that, that, that's, that's your whole thing, right? So that they're unmistaken, that they are, you know, that, that, you know, the the handwriting, the signature on, on their work. And it is good to know that. And the minute you have that 
in place as good enough, you need to move to execution and implementation. Well, um, I think that that makes a really uh, perfect way to wrap up our conversation. So I want to finish with my final question, which I'm sure you've heard me ask. Um, What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? It is um, really how you make people feel more than anything. It is it is something almost like the idiosyncrasies in life are what what are unmistaken and what make people recognizing, you know, uh, recognize what I think about Bob Fosse, the great uh, dance and choreographer who was told that he did this funny thing with his hands and then he added gloves and then the gloves became a signature and then he was told that he had this crooked thing with his neck and he was wearing a hat and, you know, that became a signature thing. So um, it's often, often what you believe might be your greatest detriment or your greatest flaw is probably your greatest unmistaken asset. That is what makes you so uniquely yours and it is time to embrace that. Well, um, I, I can see why Amy referred you to us as a guest. This has been phenomenal. And uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your stories and insights with our listeners. Uh, where can people learn more about you? Um, you can learn more about me on my website. And I actually added uh, some gifts for you if you're interested in that. So you go to beatishalette.com forward slash. And it's the letter C like Caesar and the letter E like entrepreneur and uh, hyphen uh, CE free hyphen gifts. So it's beatashalette.com forward slash CE hyphen free hyphen gifts. And I have some goodies for you to download, uh, to take a look at. You can of course always go to my YouTube channel or look us up on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a LinkedIn group with over 43,000 members. So if you want to join that, you're more than welcome. It's called the creative entrepreneur forum. And uh, if you have any questions, just go ahead and shoot me an email. I'll be happy to to answer. And that's uh, bc at beatashalette.com. That goes directly to me, to nobody else. But, you know, do do uh, stay in contact with me because you matter to me. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. A theory that has been circulating that I'm very, very interested in, and it's called post-traumatic growth. And so when things happen to people that are bad, let's say a trauma of some kind, and that can be, let's say it's a police officer who witnessed something or a soldier that had a, had a certain experience or, you know, a woman who's been attacked or something along those lines, there is obviously um, some significant trauma that, that has occurred. And, there are sort of two options that happen after that. And appears that people go on one of two trajectories. Either they go down, in which case it's a traumatic experience and there's stress, so post-traumatic stress disorder, and they have anxiety attacks and panic attacks and, and mental health challenges. The other thing that seems to happen to people is explosive growth. Greg Wells joins us to talk about using physiology for peak performance. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. 
Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.